Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Dale. I am Tamara. And we're here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Well, Pride Month is coming to an end this week. And just like every other year, there have been marches and celebrations put on by the LGBTQ plus community. And there have also been responsive boycotts and public outcries from conservatives. And every year, this process, it seems to start even earlier with a lot of the headlines being dominated by these conversations. I started to see them like the second week of May this year. Uh, And so this year was no different in terms of controversies. And there were actually a couple of really big stories that kind of captivated the headlines for a while. And the first was that Target had this scandal in which they unveiled their annual pride collection of products. And once people realized that the designer of these pride products had also designed other things that had like satanic themes, there was kind of like this grassroots movement to boycott Target. And it is really had an impact on Target in the month of June. There was also the Los Angeles Dodgers who had their uh, pride night and they announced that they were going to honor this group uh, at their pride night called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence which is a queer rights group that dresses as nuns in drag. And so uh, many conservatives, especially Roman Catholics, but you know a lot of others who aren't Roman Catholic, were um, you know, deeply offended and found that incredibly offensive that they would honor this group that um, was basically mocking uh, the Roman Catholic tradition. And so with all of these cultural issues that are happening – Uh, There's like the headlines are being dominated about it. Um, And there's a lot to be discussed in a really serious way. Like for one, like the religious overtones of a lot of the pride celebrations this year is genuinely eyebrow raising. And I think there's also legitimate conversations to be had among Christians about, you know, boycotting. Is that a thing that we should be doing? Is that a good strategy? I'm personally not a big boycott guy, but I think there's a conversation to be had there at least. Right. Just because you don't think it's the most effective strategy doesn't mean you should say Christians stay away from doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's a, I'm saying it's like a legitimate conversation to be had. Yeah. So there's like all of these like legitimate issues and concerns that are happening um, around these kind of culture war issues. But then there's also other quote unquote controversies uh, in recent weeks and in recent months, and not just related to Pride Month, but just you know, just generally the culture war milieu, uh, there are other quote unquote controversies uh, that have really kind of come from an unserious place. Uh, for instance, this past week, uh, Twitter CEO Elon Musk he announced that uh, the terms cis and cisgender are now going to be considered slurs on Twitter. And so you can actually get a ban, a temporary ban on your profile on Twitter for using the term cis. So to say someone is a cis man or a cis woman, which basically means that they are someone who is biologically uh, a male who identifies as a male. That's what it means to be cisgender. Uh, but he now is now saying that that is hate speech on par with racial slurs and it'll get you banned from the platform. Uh, also last month, Chick-fil-A... They came under fire uh, when someone discovered that they have a department for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it's not new. It's been around for a while, and it's like standard corporate practice to have a DEI department. Um, But somebody discovered this online, and then uh, just, you know, everybody was just 
lamenting the fact that our beloved conservative Christian chicken had gone woke. And there's actually calls from conservatives to uh, boycott Chick-fil-A, not from people who think that they're anti-gay, but from people who think that they like diversity and inclusion too much. And so, you know, that, that, that was, that's, not, that's not a serious issue that's happening. Uh, and there was another one on Juneteenth, uh, which is celebrating the, the end of chattel slavery in uh, America. It's been um, celebrated uh, since 1866 in certain communities because uh, in 1865, that's when the last enslaved people were actually freed uh, in Galveston, Texas. And uh, in 2021, it was made a federal holiday, which was completely uncontroversial at the time. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene voted for it to be made a federal holiday. Uh, but now, two years later, it's become like this culture war hinge point where if you celebrate Juneteenth or you think that that's a good thing to celebrate, uh, it's because you're racist and woke and uh, radical left and all these kinds of things. And so, like, there's this whole, like, stir about that. And, like, week over week over week over week, there are similar just faux controversies that arise in the public discourse. And so you kind of have just a lot going on uh, where you have, like, legitimate issues where, um, yeah, in in terms of uh, public policy or issues that um, would be important to Christians, and whether that relates to uh, issues of human sexuality or racial justice or any number of other issues. Uh, but then you have these other issues that are a lot of fluff um, that are not serious arguments, even though they're getting as much, if not more, airtime than the serious arguments. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Like, how do we navigate all of that? Like, how do we discern that? Uh, and how do we engage in that in a way that's like uh, healthy, holy, is not stoking foolish controversy, but is still engaged in the issues that are important to us from the Christian perspective? And so that's what I want to talk about today. But we'll dive into that in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So there are a lot of social issues in America that are imminently relevant to Christians, whether those are issues of sexual ethics, racial justice, or any number of other issues. But as these themes are discussed in public discourse pretty much constantly at this point, uh, I've noticed that there are moments when we really tend to jump the shark in the conversation. Is that a phrase that you're familiar with? Jump no. the shark? Okay, it's so not. you're going to have to This is a, a beautiful concept. 
to describe what is happening in American public discourse. So Jump the Shark is a phrase that actually finds its origins in, of all places, uh, that old sitcom Happy Days. Did you ever watch Happy Day uh, reruns growing up? I did, yes. I, I always thought the show was kind of boring. Really? I know it's like an American classic. You got it Fonzie. Is. Yeah. You got... Um, I enjoyed it. Ron Howard. Yeah, it, I just... It wasn't my thing. But uh, so it ran for a lot of years, like 11 years. And so Happy Days, it had a lot of seasons. It had a lot of episodes. Uh, but after a certain number of years, uh, writers tend to run out of ideas. Uh, and so oftentimes in the latter seasons of a show, the storylines tend to get more and more ridiculous and out of control and kind of wild. And emblematic of that was this episode of Happy Days that came in the fifth season in which Fonzie is water skiing and he literally jumps over a shark. Like this show about an American suburban family ends up with this kid and he was wearing um he's still wearing his, his le- leather, leather jacket. jacket and his little short shorts <laughs> and he goes up a ramp and he literally jumps over a shark. I mean that's pretty dramatic it's almost as dramatic as all the fast and furious movies yeah that's a that's an that's another good example of jumping the shark when they're like going to space now are they in space i i think at some point they're in space oh they definitely jump cars out of planes i know that that happens well and they jump cars from like building to building and the car is perfectly intact and somehow they actually like fly from one building to the other yeah and didn't break their necks or anything yeah just get up and walk away yeah there's all and yeah as with each successive movie there's like 10 of them now yes and i think they're gonna make like two or three more and i think they're gonna be done i think that's the rumor more yes okay so this was the last one no 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 so fast x the 10th one is i think the first part in a three-part finale (laughs) lord have mercy so i think it's gonna be like 12 movies when it's all said and done across like 25 years or something like that Dang, we're old. And so, yes, Fast and Furious has jumped the shark. Uh, and in many ways, our public discourse has jumped the shark in in the same way. Because it's like a 24-hour news cycle, right? And you have to fill up all that time with something. Right. And so after you just got to come up with outrage. You're just kind of like it. making stuff up. Uh, yeah, because to get people don't like, they don't like happy stories. No, those – anytime uh, I write an article that has – it is – just unmitigated happiness. Nobody reads it. Right. That's just that's, that's just not the way news. It is. Right. That's not news. That's just that's just a cute story. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then after a while, like of just you know, sometimes it's a slow news weekend, so you have to make up drama to put it on there, and there's not really anything substantive. It's just a spectacle. It's just something to be outraged about, and therein kind of lies the death of nuance, critical thought. Bridge building, uh, winsomeness. I know winsomeness is is a bad thing to a lot of people these days, but not to me. Um, Yeah, it's just kind of the death of like intelligent conversation and argumentation on some of the more important issues of uh, our culture and society. Um, And that just seems to be the trend. And so, Tamara, have you seen any examples uh, in recent times of issues or stories or online discourses uh, that have really jumped the shark? Yeah, the most recent one that I think I read about was related to Chick-fil-A and people just being outraged and wanting to boycott because of a position that was created at Chick-fil-A. I think what was so funny about it is it wasn't even like a recent position that was made. Right. It's been in place for years and now somebody got wind of it and now we're upset about it. 
Um, another one that just kind of comes to mind isn't most recent, but it seems to happen every year. People are boycotting companies that want to say happy holidays instead of oh, yeah. uh, Merry Christmas. I had forgotten like, about don't that. Don't take the Christ out of Christmas. And like we get all outraged, right? Like star. I think it was Starbucks last year or maybe the year before. Uh, typically every um, year there's Petco, some kind of... Like there's yeah. always a company that um, all of a sudden we become mad about again because they're no longer saying Merry Christmas. They're now saying Happy Holidays. There's just things like that where... Do these things really matter at the end of the day? Like, is this where we want to invest all of our time and emotions um, related to these kind of like just silly conversations? Yeah. And with Starbucks, it's not even that they were saying happy holidays. It's that the the cups themselves. I remember there was this one year where the cup was just red and the logo's green. And people were like, oh, this is a war on Christmas because like it didn't say anything about Christmas on the cup. It was just a red and green. Yeah. And they're like, that's not Christmassy enough. They must hate Christians because it's not exploding with reindeer and Santa Claus or something like that. Right. Or I think at one year the cup did say happy holidays instead. Yeah. But each year, I guess Starbucks is probably getting attacked based on their holiday cup. <laughs> right. Goodness. Yeah. yeah. And there's really like a lot of energy that goes into that. A lot of punditry that uh, is responding to that on a yearly basis, almost like clockwork. Yeah, like you're waiting for the release of the Starbucks Christmas cup just so we can get mad. Right, yeah. I mean, there's there's probably like some like intern at Fox News like waiting every year for like the new Christmas cup to drop so that they can create a, a narrative around how much they hate Christmas or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Like you just make an argument out of nothing. Right. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah, so a lot of that can get pretty exhausting. Uh, but I actually tend to think that for Christians... Uh, engaging in these types of conversations and are concerned about you know the the way our culture is going, um, they can engage in these kinds of discourses and outrages in a way that's not only exhausting but is actually downright sinful in a lot of ways, because the Bible actually has a lot to say about not being involved in frivolous controversies. Um, I just want to give you like a small selection of passages from the New Testament, or but just the whole Bible actually. Uh, the first two are from the New Testament, and they're actually uh, directed at leaders. So if you're any kind of ministry leader or thought leader, uh, these verses are for you, even though they're for all of us. And the first one is in Titus three. Uh, verses 9 through 11, it says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Those are some pretty strong words, but we see Paul echo those same sentiments in 2 Timothy 2, verses 23 to 25. He says, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know that they produce quarrels. Then the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And then you see this all throughout the Proverbs, but here's one, Proverb twenty nine twenty two: An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. So these verses are pretty clear about stoking frivolous controversy and how like that is not the way of Jesus. That is not the way of someone who is pursuing a, a life full of shalom and goodness and truth. Um, but 
what do you think the solution is here? Like, is the solution that we just completely unplug from every public conversation that's happening? Or do you think there's a wise way to engage in the public discourse and sift through some of these things uh, that are important, important issues, but a lot of times are uh, approached in unserious ways and, and fixated on unserious things? So to completely disengage um, from public discourse, I don't think is the answer. It's probably the easiest, the easiest solution. Like right, because you're like, yeah, I'm just not going to pay attention. I'm not going to comment on anything. Not going to look at it. Right, and at that point, it's like, well, it's just about me and my relationship with Jesus, and that's it. And it doesn't really matter um, the way that we interact with the world. But as Christians, we're called to be ambassadors to the world, which um, means we need to like interact with people of the world, right? We can't just sit in our own little Christian bubbles and disengage from everything that's happening. We should desire to see change for Christ within our culture, within our communities, within our social settings. Um, And if we were to completely disengage from all those conversations, then how could we ever expect any change for Christ to happen? Um, But (laughs) caring so much about everything and picking everything apart is also not beneficial. And on a personal level, if you're someone who's doing that, like you're going to go a bit mad um, because the world is not serving Christ. And therefore, you're going to find fault in every single thing happening. Like the arguments and the war is going to be endless for the rest of your life. <laughs> like, is that how you want to spend your life? Like, that's not even how Jesus spent his life, right? Right. He didn't come to um, to earth and start, like, just picking up controversy after controversy and going to war over every single little thing. And he easily could have. He could have talked about the government. He could have talked about the politics. He could have talked about everything that was happening, like the mistreatment of people um, within like the systems and the context of the government, but he didn't actually broach on any of that. Um, And that's not to say we shouldn't talk about any of it, but just remember to put things within balance and within context. And you had read second Timothy two, 23 to 25. And I just wanted to read the last uh, sentence because I think it helps bring clarity and wisdom into how we should engage in these things. Um, It says opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So as we're engaging, we should have the hope that's been instructed to us is that it leads people to repentance, but it's God who brings them to repentance, right? It's not our uh, winsome arguments. It's not our protest. It's not the number of things we're outraged about. It's not um, like how many uh, companies you're no longer purchasing goods at. It's the intent that we guide people in love and have the end goal is our hope that God would lead them to repentance. Um, and the knowledge of his truth, because there is an aspect of the faith where it takes a work of the Holy Spirit. 
It's not how great you're going to be at arguing something or how much money you put behind an argument or how much money you take away from an argument that's really going to start to change hearts. Sure, if you have a great enough outrage, um, maybe Starbucks will start writing Merry Christmas on their cups. But like, what did that accomplish? Right. It's a did pretty that, small victory, right? Did that lead anybody to repentance? Did that bring anybody to the knowledge of of God and the truth of his saving grace? Like, did any of that happen because we wrote Merry Christmas on a cup? No. So, like, just continue to put these <laughs> these cultural conversations within the context of the desire should be um, that people come to true repentance that's revealed through the Holy Spirit um, and them being like enlightened enlightened with the truth of the gospel. And so if what you're if the battle that you're uh waging doesn't have that as the end goal in mind, if the end goal is just I don't know, for Chick-fil-A to fire somebody, like I don't <laughs> like is that the goal like, there? What's the like, win here? Like yeah, why are we mad at Chick-fil-A? Um and what what do we hope that they do differently? We we hope that they fired the person who's been in this position for 10 years. The, I don't understand. So, if the cultural wars that we're engaging with don't ultimately lead to a place of um repentance and tr- the gospel truth being known, then I think those are not cultural wars that we should be engaging in. Yeah, and going back to that verse that you reread about uh, gently um, speaking back to opponents, that almost seems like, going back to a few episodes ago, it seems like the biblical endorsement for winsome engagement in mm. the public discourse, yeah. where so many are saying, like, no, we have to like take the culture by force. Um, the Apostle Paul says, mm, that, that's the kind of person you want to stay away from. You want the, the person who is a godly leader in the church is the one who's going to gently speak back to opponents, hoping to win them over rather than beat them. Yeah, you never really see this defensive language within Scripture as Christians are to live out their life. It's never a, in defense of um, beating people over the head. Right. Kind of conversation. Yeah. And that uh, verse in Proverbs, it talks about an angry person who stirs up strife. Uh, in other uh, Proverbs, though, it actually talks about a greedy person who stirs mm. up strife. And there is often an economic component to some of these public discourses that um, Christians are either fooled by or actively engaging in that economic component to stir up strife. And that's something that I want to dive into, but we'll do that in just a moment. All right, so we are back, and we're actually back with a special guest on the Kinos Project podcast there was a baby who decided that nap time was not for him so if you hear some chirps or squeals that's who that is uh but i wanted to talk to you about um this economic component within the whole culture war discourse and really leads us to a place where we are getting to just this point of ridiculousness and the proverbs talk about a a greedy person stirring up strife and uh, if you were to put that in kind of the modern lingo, you would maybe call that person a grifter. And a grifter is, a, is a, a term that is defined by someone who engages in uh, petty or small-scale swindling. But really in the world of social media and online punditry, it describes someone who really knows how to push the right 
buttons and stir up the right controversies in order to grow their platform, to grow their Twitter following, to grow their Instagram following, to get clicks to their website, uh, ultimately to monetize that and to make a living out of really making people upset over these cultural issues. Uh, so as we see like conversations unfolding in the public – how can you tell the difference between someone who is genuinely trying to advocate for a value that is aligned with Christian convictions? How can you tell the difference between that kind of a person and a grifter? Someone who actually cares about seeing a shift in the conversation and making that shift um, for the things of Christ often isn't attacking the person that they're talking about. Like they might be unfortunately because of the way that it goes but it might seem more like attacking the the idea or the philosophy but not actually the person themselves like throwing blows at the person they're um having controversy with is always a really big indicator that there's no humility um or genuineness or the love of christ involved in that conversation um and I think we've unfortunately seen a little bit of that on our social media is there's like more personal attacks of like, oh, you think you're just so smart and you're just so educated instead of actually attacking or uh, finding holes in the argument that we've made. They actually just try and attack us as the person that's on the other end of that argument. So that's usually a really huge indicator is what is it that they're attacking or in what way are they trying to sway the people that are actually listening to that conversation? Do they just want their followers or the people listening to them to be mad at the influencer or the one stating the thoughts? Or do they actually want to see a conversation where you can respectfully and uh, graciously go about engaging in a conversation where you don't agree with somebody? Right. Yeah. I think for me, as I like watch certain uh, outlets or online personalities or pundits um, to know if they're a grifter, I think it like so as a, a new story comes in. So let's say like uh, Chick-fil-A has a DEI department. I can see that story. I can read it. I can know the facts of the situation. And then if in my mind I can think like, oh, yeah, this person is probably going to run with this story in this way in a kind of paint by number, I can tell you exactly what facts they're going to harp on. I can tell you exactly what facts they're going to ignore or minimize. I can tell you like what way they're going to spin the story. And it's like if I could write your press release for you in all of the inflammatory ways that I know you're going to do it, and then you do it uh, to just the praise of your own base, like that is you're you're honestly like doing that for the clout, and you're doing it for the influence and the advertising dollars at the end of the day. So I think when you see people online who respond in really predictable ways that are um, one outrageous, and two, you know, are going to be great success to their platform and growing it, that's when you can see that someone is really engaging in an unserious way. I mean, if you follow people enough, like, you know, you kind of can tell like what direction they're going to go with it. Uh, but when you see just this really flat, simplified argument again and again and again, that it ignores the details of a given situation, you're like, okay, this person's not a serious person. Right. Where they leave out key details that might not be favorable to their side. Um, instead of engaging with it and having an open conversation about the nuance and maybe even the caveats of a conversation, you just outright ignore it and only pluck out the details 
of the said incident or whatever is being reported on. You pluck out the details that are only favorable to push forward your agenda. Um, obviously, that's a pretty clear indicator that somebody's not really approaching the conversation with humility or to see any kind of dialogue happen. They're just trying to lobby on their side only. Yeah, you, so you see a lack of charity. I think you also see a lack of intellectual curiosity. Where to understand details mm-hmm. that yeah, don't Yeah, it's just like, oh, there's fit. a headline, going to grab yeah. it, now I'm going to make a video, and there yeah. it is. Yeah. Or, yeah, part of the details that just don't quite fit into your box of what you think this is the side that this person's sitting on. Um, people are a little bit more complicated than I think we want to give credit to in the last few years of public discourse. We want to really create like this person's a conservative, this person's liberal, this person's um, Republican, Democrat, this person's woke, this person's not like not everyone fits into these nice clean boxes and not every idea that someone has is going to fully support one side or the other. Yeah, I think just to go back to the just use it as a concrete example of like the Chick-fil-A has diversity, equity and inclusion, like the the narrative that I saw is like they attached onto like they have that department. Therefore, they're uh, promoting CRT. Therefore, they are Marxist. Therefore, they are undermining American Christianity and America as a whole. It's like, wow, you really took some logical jumps in a very short period of time. Yeah, and there wasn't even any evidence for any of that. It was just you have this position, so that means all of these things must follow. It wasn't even actions taken by the person within that position or anything that happened from that department at all. It was just this position exists, so therefore these must be the only logical conclusions we can draw. Yeah, and it's just like like you feel like you're living in bizarro world a little bit. As you right. read what people are saying, like, yeah. like I under, like I know that that's what you were going to say, but what you were going to say is completely ludicrous, mm-hmm. um, and yet, um, people are listening to it and they're right. parroting those things, and it kind of creates a uh, kind of a lexicon of how you respond to things in a very uncurious, unserious way. Well, and then it feels a lot like the telephone game. Like, did you ever play that game mm-hmm. as a kid? Right, so. What's going to happen is someone who didn't read that article or didn't doesn't know anything about it is going to say, oh, did you hear Chick-fil-A supports CRT? Right. Like yeah. that's all of a sudden. And you say, what? You're like, what? No way. We can never eat there again. And now you have people not eating at Chick-fil-A. And there are no grounds to that claim at all um, just because of how terrible the reporting was on something. Yeah. And uh you keep bringing up the idea of humility uh, in these conversations and kind of a lack of it. Uh, when the fact of the matter is, when we're talking about issues of human sexuality, when we're talking about racial justice in America, which can be complex in terms of like how do we go about furthering that cause or any number of other issues that uh, are having to do with personal morality, but they're having to do um, with cultural movements. They're having to do with uh, legislative approaches on how to respond to these things. There's a lot of complexity and nuance in that uh, that requires humility, and that's something that we don't see a lot of. So what do you think are some ways that as we just see conversations unfolding that we can cultivate uh, humility uh, in the midst of that 
And then how do you think that that's going to change the way we engage in those issues? So as you talk about humility, humility, you often think of like, what's the opposite of that is pride, right? And arrogance on something. And so when we walk into these conversations or see these conversations happening, um, whoever it is that you're listening to, do they have an arrogance about their side of or their take on the issue? Is there an arrogance that they have it all figured out? Um, and how do we bring humility into that? And the easiest way to bring humility into any of the conversations is to remember that these are not just like pie in the sky, philosophical things that are happening. These are oftentimes conversations that are affecting very real people who have faces and who have names and who are struggling. That's why these conversations are happening in the first place is because there's people behind them, people who, with example to, I don't know, let's just say like the transgender conversation, like there are people who uh, are struggling with that, who are struggling with their sexual identity to the point that it is tearing them apart, right? Like internally tearing them apart. And so how do we have empathy for them? Um, which I know, again, empathy is another harmful word. <laughs> empathy my is goodness. my favorite sin. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can't, like, you can't win. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, but like, let me attack the basic structures of Christianity <laughs> to help Christianity win the culture. Yes, exactly. Empathy is sin somehow. But remembering that there are actual faces and names to these arguments, right? When you talk about pro-life, like there are women that are sitting there like right now who are pregnant and they just can't see how that is going to be any kind of, not even just benefit for their life, but how is that going to be good for anyone involved? How's that going to be good for the life inside of them that's growing? Um, How's that going to be good for them and their own life? Like they see abortion as the only option. And so as we're talking about these things and we're talking about these cultural wars, like remember there are faces on the other end of them. And that's the easiest way to bring in humility. Now, when it comes to Starbucks and Merry Christmas, like, okay, I don't know what the face is behind that one, but that's also not an actual cultural war, right? Mm-hmm. So the ones that we're that we should really be taking seriously, remember there are faces and names of people behind these arguments that we're having. They're not just data points. They're not just uh, facts and figures and and research. Like there are people who are struggling on one side or the other with these things. Yeah, and I think part of the reason why I wanted to have this conversation was because of that personal element, Uh, not only for the people who are in the various camps on the various social issues, uh, but also for the fact that uh, so many of the people that, you know, we talk to on a daily basis are taking in these, these, uh, Uh, ideas and this content from people who are honestly being very unserious and uncharitable and creating unnecessary conflict. And a lot of the times, uh, if we don't see it online, that we'll hear about it is from somebody else in our life that did you hear da 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 and such and such. And you find yourself like having to do research on like, what are they talking about? Because that fact seems outrageous. I don't know if that conclusion is right. Um, How do you think uh, it would be uh, a helpful way or a healthy way to engage and counsel uh, 
the loved ones, the friends, the family members in our lives that kind of get wrapped up in these faux controversies uh, in such a way that like raises their blood pressure and then they talk to us and it raises our blood pressure. Like how do we diffuse that? How do we counsel through that and engage in a way that's going to be not only a non-anxious presence, but also just uh, do a little bit of counterformation in the ways that we've been formed by uh, the media? Um, I think one of the big ways is to hear them out. Like, what about this topic that they're talking about is making them so upset? Like, what is the actual root of the thing that is making them outraged? And if you can you can get to that and have that conversation, that becomes helpful. Um, but there's conversations that I've stepped into uh, with people that I'm like, oh, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. And so instead of joining in that outrage with them, um, oftentimes I'm like, oh, that's that's like really interesting. I can't believe that's happening. Or, um, wow, I didn't hear about that. I'll have to look into that. Like, can you send me where you read that? Can you send me the link? And then like creating that uh, dialogue with them to allow it not to seem like you just shut them down immediately and you're like, well, you're crazy and you're believing something that's not real. Um, or you've been led down a rabbit hole that doesn't even like exist. Like there's no rabbit there. (laughs) 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 Like it's an empty hole. Um, but actually like wanting to engage in that conversation with them because there's a reason they're getting outraged. Like there's something that's actually hitting them at their core or else they wouldn't be angry. I mean, hopefully not. Right. Right. (laughs) I mean, maybe people. I mean, some people just like to be angry, but most people, they're responding to a fear or something like that. Yeah. There's something behind whatever it is that they read um, that is creating a fear or like an anxiety or sorry, (laughs) Elias is snorting um, or something else within them. So it's just helpful to actually engage with them, ask them what they read And maybe you can then respond with, oh, well, here's actually what I read and and let them come to their own conclusions. Like you don't need to bash your conclusions over their head, like just share what you have. And maybe it can be like an open conversation instead of I'm trying to win you over to my side. Yeah, I think that's important. I think uh, too often we think like in a single conversation, I'm going to change somebody's mind on like fundamental ideologies that they have been just developing over the course of months or years or whatever it is or a lifetime really or, yeah, yeah. And, and really what you can do is just to have a conversation to offer an alternate perspective that at least tempers the uh the outrage that they're expressing in their view and then can can you know have the potential to bring them to a little bit more of a reasonable place that is curious that is charitable that is empathetic that maybe you know they don't you know land on the same uh, idea of what good public policy on that would be, but at least you're working towards the same goal at that point. I think that's what the the difficult thing mm-hmm. is, is that we end up working for diff- like different goals because we're just trying to beat each other rather than work mm. together right. to, to fight common yeah. issues and find a common solution in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, right. In the end, like we probably have the same concerns. It's just maybe the concern that you read is is not real right like maybe maybe uh starbucks withholding merry christmas from the cup is not actually taking christ out of christmas like maybe christ is still in christmas and starbucks 
didn't single-handedly remove Christ from Christmas. Right. You know, like... If Starbucks you, <laughs> is not powerful enough to remove Christ from Christmas. Yeah. But, you know, just thinking that or um, you talked about being like charitable and oftentimes, you know, we read these articles or we read the reports and they are not charitable and we are saying they should be, but then we don't turn around and extend the charity that was withheld in that article. Like we don't extend that charity within our own conversations. Instead, we're trying to prove to that person, like, look at how terrible this thing is. How could you possibly believe it? Instead of being gracious and gentle and charitable, even within that conversation. And it's like you said, the goal should not be, let me bring you over to my side. That. You're not going to do that in one conversation. You're certainly not going to do that bashing your view over somebody's head. Um, The way that you begin to change people's minds is by being kind and um, not actually making it seem like that's your goal. Mm -hmm. Like it ends up just happening in the process, but it wasn't what you intended to do when you went into that conversation. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, it's important to have Christian voices in the public square that are advocating for what is good and true and beautiful mm, as defined yeah. by, you know, Jesus's vision for his people. Um but I do think that uh we are are baited into uh fighting on a lot of hills that we need not fight on. Like you don't have to show up to every fight that you're invited to. And I think that uh, we would do well to send our regrets to a lot of those invitations that we mm. get. Yeah. Uh, like most of them. I mean, they, uh, of all the controversies and faux controversies that happen, like there's a very select few of them that actually are going to have uh, implications for, um, you know, our daily lives. I think what's at the, the issue at hand right now for so many of us is just the way we're engaging in the conversation is the thing that we need to talk. We need to talk, have a conversation about the conversation because that's where we're going off the rails uh, into just like fear and outrage. Um, and I think also too, it's worth noting that when you look at like the prophets of the Bible, very few times are they um, speaking against or speaking directly to the people outside of the the community of people who are the followers of God. Like the people who belong mm. to God, like those are the ones that they're being prophetic towards, saying like you need to be living up to the expectations that you you committed to when you said that you were going to follow the one true God. And um, th- there are exceptions, but it, the lion's share of the verses in, in the prophetic uh, books are speaking directly to God's people about the ways that they're not living up to all of the the moral things that that God has called them to, and all of the the justice things that God has called them to, and all the mercy things, uh, and, and um, it's really kind of leaving aside. Even Jesus, he did kind of speak in political ways, but he almost I don't I can't think of a time that he was speaking prophetically to the Roman Empire. No, he was speaking to the politics within the people who belonged to God. Pharisees it was the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees right. and the scribes and everybody who yep. was a part of that kind of political system. That was within the Roman Empire, but he spoke directly to them with the strongest words because they were the ones that were supposedly the ones who belonged to God. And so I think at the end of the day, yes, um, we can engage in a lot of these issues, but um, I think 
we would do well to expect that pagans are going to act like pagans. Right. But I also think that we should expect Christians to act like Christians. Hmm. And that should be our most pressing concern. It's almost as if we should be um, not quick to rebuke. and <laughs> but, <laughs> but as we think of the categories in which uh, people who follow Jesus should be calling out the wrong in something or should be holding people accountable for sin, it's within the church itself. Uh, fellow Christians, people that are uh, just blatantly sinning and blatantly not following the ways of Jesus, but they call themselves followers of Jesus. We should be more critical of uh, fellow believers when it comes to them acting in ways that are not biblical. Mm -hmm. Um, And to those that do not call themselves believers, we should be um, quick to give them grace and love. Mm-hmm. And I think we flip that. Yes. When it comes to the church and just outrageous sin that we've seen, I mean, we can talk about entire church institutions that have been covering up sexual abuse and we are quick to give them love and grace and not any kind of accountability. But when it comes to organizations outside of the church, those are the ones that we are quickest to give our rebuke and our um, need for accountability, right? Like I just think of most most recently Target. Um, and I'm not saying whether we should or shouldn't boycott them, but I'm just saying we became really quick to expect them to um, operate as if they are followers of Jesus. Um, but then when it comes to major church denominations covering up sexual abuse, we are not quick to ask them to be held accountable to follow the ways of Jesus. Like we just have it backwards. Yeah. And so really at the end of the day, we we need to be more critical and careful, not only about the viewpoints that we hold, uh, but the manner in which we hold those views and engage with those views in the public square. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kainosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Considered yourself a messenger? Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, or art to make, or perhaps businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast, which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. If you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, Search and follow the Messenger Movement podcast on your favorite podcast platform today or lifeaudio.com.